the second Sunday of Advent. On this second Sunday of Advent, as we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, we light the candle of peace. Jesus Christ is our peace. From John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Ephesians 2.14 For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. He is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9.6 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. reading this morning will be out of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run. Run with endurance that the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin in which you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Casey, you got my slides for me, buddy? Thanks, man. You know, it's so much fun. Um, one of the things that we have tried to intentionally do at here at LSC is oftentimes youth is met with shut up and sit down, and when you're old enough and mature enough, you can participate in what we're doing. Um, and, and, and I really bristle against that. Um, the scriptures in Hebrew, Proverbs talks about that the the benefit of young people is their strength and their, and their energy, and, and we want to put that strength and energy use in our services. So we got Casey back there on the computer, and we also have our youth serving us during our time of communion, and it's just a wonderful time to say, no, we want you here, and we want you involved. Um, and you play an important role as this family. You don't have to wait till you're older to be playing that important role with us. The text this morning, um, I don't know if you caught it, talked a little bit about running a race, okay? And, and how many of y'all have run like a 3K, a 5K? Okay, a few runners in here. How many of y'all attended a race and cheered people on before? You know, that's more my style. Um, uh, my wife's a runner, um, and uh, so she would do a lot of races. She's done triathlons and stuff, and, and me and the kids go and run and, or cheer and support her, not run, cheer and support her. Uh, we may run like three, three meters or something or while, while we're trying to cheer her on or something like that, but not, not a long distance. Kira is taking after her mama and running races now too, so it's fun to watch, so we'll get to go to more races and cheer them on. Well, if you've ever gone to a race or like a marathon or a long race, people will get signs. 
and they'll paint signs to encourage the runners to keep going. And so I thought it might be fun to, to look at some of those signs here this morning um, as we begin to study this passage on running with endurance, okay? So one of the signs that, that somebody wrote up for a marathon said, smile, you paid for this. <laughs> if you don't know that, yeah, you pay a little money, an entry fee to get into the race. So yeah, yeah. Um, the, the other one said, smile, this might be on YouTube later. Uh, another sign said, if it were easy, I would do it. <laughs> That's a project of that. Another sign read, great news, no one ever died drowning in sweat. Pain is temporary. Race results are online forever. <laughs> You're running better than the government. <laughs> You know I had to get that one in there. All right. Stop reading and start running, another sign said. For our, for our Star Wars fans, you may appreciate this one. May the course be with you. Come on. Come on. That was great. Oh, uh, here's another sign. You think you're tired? My arms are killing me. <clears throat> another sign said, don't stop. People are watching. <laughs> and, and finally, I'll, I'll conclude with this one. Um, this one said, if you want to ride home, run faster. I'm leaving soon. <laughs> I thought that was great. Just look at it, some of those and the encouragement that people receive as they're running this course and the course of life. This morning, the author of Hebrews says, run. Run with endurance. Run is to not stop. Run is to keep going. The basis for this command, the basis for his instruction, begins with this screaming really loud therefore. And what's very interesting about this word therefore, it's only used two times in all the New Testament. He's using a particular word to say, pay attention. Based on what you just read in Hebrews 11, and due to brevity of time, we're not going to go back and read through Hebrews 11, but you got to understand when it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who's he referring to? Who did we talk about the last two weeks? We talked about Abel. We talked about Enoch. We talked about Abraham. We talked about Moses. We talked about Rahab. We talked about the faith the Israelites had when they marched around the walls. We talked about Moses' faith when he went through the Red Sea. We talked about Sarah and Abraham's faith in conceiving this child in their old age. We talked about this faith, and he says, so therefore, based upon what we've just read, run. But how are we supposed to run? And this is really, really, really important for us to get this. He says, let us also lay aside every weight. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Let us also. What, what, also? Who's he referring to? He's referring to all those names that were mentioned back in Hebrews 11. You see, I don't know if you start getting this, but when we were studying this text, it was so much fun because Brian Fram was like saying, hey, like, we need to look back at those guys and ask the question, what did they throw off? What did they lay aside? Because it says, let us also throw off. Let us also lay aside. Let us also not have this sin that encumbers us. So these individuals had things that they were throwing off. And we look at Abraham's story. God called Abraham to leave behind his family. In fact, the one family he brought besides his wife was, was his nephew, Lot. And God said, you were supposed to leave him too. And how do we know that? Well, we get to the promised land and God causes their, their livestock to grow to such an immense proportion that the land could no longer support Lot and Abraham hanging out together anymore. And so God sends Lot off to this other area and Abraham has for, goes to this other area and now it's truly, okay, God now says, okay, now that you've thrown off everything that I told you to throw off, now that you've let go of things that are hindering you from running this race, now we can do business. 
And we can look back to those individuals. And so I got a question I would love for you to wrestle with this week with other family, in your life groups, in your DNA time. This question I would love for you to wrestle is, what did those in chapter 11 throw off to run the race? I would love for you to go back and do a study on each one of those people and say, what was God asking them to throw off that in order to have faith in God and pursue God where he was leading them, what did they have to not believe in or what not follow? Or what sin could they have possibly had entangling them? And then I want to ask you another question. Can you relate to any of those stories? Which of their sins, which of the things that they had to throw off, do you need to throw off? Do you need to let go of? Throw off, lay aside everything which clings so closely and let us run. This sin which clings so closely speaks of intimacy with this sin. This is our go-to sin. This is our sin which makes us feel comfortable. Is it anger? Is it rebellion? Is it bitterness? Is it pride? What is that sin that when we, that just, it clings so close to us. It's like something that is almost like a garment on us. You know, it's very interesting. If you were to study races back then, they would run in race that we would consider very inappropriate for today. They ran naked. If you would have gone to the early Olympics and would have seen them compete, you probably wouldn't have taken your kids with you because they were naked. They weren't going to have anything that would hinder them from their best thing that they could achieve. I mean, you look at today's swimmers, right? They shave, like their arms, their chest, their legs. I mean, there's like, because they're not going to have anything that might slow them down when they dive into that water and go as fast as they can go in the water. What a great imagery of like throwing off. Would they jump in and try to do a lap with a robe on? But I feel more comfortable in a robe. I don't have to expose myself so much when I'm in a robe. Or maybe they're like, man, I don't want a robe. I want to like just jump in with all my clothes and try to compete. Could you imagine like you saw somebody like Michael Phelps jump in the pool and start doing laps and fully clothed. You're like, the dude's going to get smoked. I mean, he's good and all, but he's going to get smoked by all the, because they, they've gotten the proper attire to go swim. Well, we keep trying to run life's race with sin wrapped around us, entangling us, tripping us up. We, we keep trying to run this race, idolizing things other than God. We, we set our, our families up as idolaters. We set our relationships up with our spouses as idolaters. We, spent, we, we, we take our jobs and say, well, you know, my, my job comes before everything else. And, and that becomes idolatrous. I mean, we take so many different things. We say, my time is my time. And time becomes something that is idolatrous. And God's saying, throw it off. Run this race with endurance. But Doggone it, Christians, you keep making this harder than it's supposed to be. I want you to be lean and fast and, and having such incredible endurance. I, I, have you ever watched the Kenyans run a marathon? Yes. They're amazing. They're running at marathons at almost a sprinter's pace. And, but they're lean. They're super lean and they're out there and they're going. It's amazing to watch them run. It's, it's, it's like, oh my land, they're gifted in running that race. But again, they're not going to go out and say, you know what? I feel like running in my full jumpsuit today. Like it's a really cool jumpsuit and it's got nice stuff on it. So I'm going to not, they, they stripped on and their clothing is super light, super cool. It allows air to get to them. It breathes with them. It wicks moisture away so they can stay cool as they run this race with everything they've got. And they're amazing, gifted. 
God's saying, throw it off. Throw it off. Quit fixing your eyes on things that are going to distract you from running the race. They're going to take you off course. They're going to cause you to veer to the right or veer to the left. Because the text here says, it goes on to say, but run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to the founder, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecting our faith. Quite literally, the language here is fix your eyes so that they are not averted. It's like fixation, right? It, it's like you ever done that laser thing with, with a cat, right? You put a laser on the floor with the cat. Don't shine it in the cat's eyes. That's bad for the cat. But, but you point the laser and the cat fixates on this laser and will chase it all the way around the house to the point of exhaustion. And you're like, that's just a dumb cat. Like, but that's the way we're supposed to be with Jesus. We're supposed to be so locked in on Jesus that wherever he takes us, we go and we go and we see him and we're following him and we're pursuing him. It's this fixed eyes. It's like having blinders on. Like, I don't want to see anything else but Jesus. And when I'm fixed on Jesus, he's going to show me what's causing me to slow down in this race. and I'm just going to throw it off. I'm not even going to look down. I'm just going to throw it off and keep running towards Jesus. I'm fixated on him. But brothers and sisters, I go back. How are you fixated on Jesus if we don't spend time with him? If we're not in prayer with him? If it's not a daily part of our rhythm? Paul says, pray without ceasing. It's this idea that we're living in this continual life and constant communication with Jesus. fixated on him, him directing our steps, him directing where we're going. He's our all in all. He is everything to us. Run this way and so that you are fixed on Jesus. Well, if we look back to Hebrews 11, we also understand that the way we're supposed to run is not for the finish line. We're supposed to run because all of them didn't get across the finish line of the things that they were hoping in. They, they died not seeing the fulfillment of the promise. They ran towards Jesus, not to a place where they can stop. You see, that's what the finish line is. It's a place we can stop. Jesus, I don't want you running for the finish line. I want you running for me. And when I take you home or when I return, then the race is over. But you run towards me. And this isn't a sprint. I always kind of laugh when I go to these races with with Christy. And and some, some young, young dude, and it's usually a guy. Come on now. It's usually a guy. Some young buck is out there. He's like, ha, my girlfriend's watching or something, you know, like. He just takes off, ah, sprinting. He's got to go like 10K, right? So like almost, you know, 6.5. How many, Christopher Knight, where are you at? How, how far is the 10K? Uh, like 6.3. 6.3. He's got to go 6.3 miles, okay? And he's taking off like a rocket ship, like he's got to run a 400 meter or something, right? And you're like, you're laughing because he's like, he's going to be dead around the next corner, right? As soon as he goes around the next corner, he's the first guy to start walking, right? And you're like, because you can't keep that pace, man. Jesus is saying, I don't want you taking off like a rocket ship. I want you running in such a way that that you can go the distance. Go the distance. And I, keeping your eyes upon me, throwing off things that hinder you will cause you to be able to go the distance, to run this race. And he says, if you think it gets hard, if you think running with endurance is hard, let me tell you what hard looks like. Consider, and again, this word for consider is like dive deep, look at closely, examine him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself. Notice how he uses this terminology, endured. You're to endure like Jesus endured. And he endured hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. 
Man, and this is to the Hebrew people who have been suffering for their faith. These people are imprisoned. These people have been beaten. But he's saying, in your struggle with sin, not your struggle with the world, in your struggle with your sin, you have not resisted to the point of bloodshed. Because you don't have to. Because Jesus shed his blood for you. So you can be set free from your sin. See, you don't need to die for your sin. You don't pay a penalty for your sin. Jesus paid that penalty. And so Jesus is saying, throw it off. Jesus Christ from the cross said, it is finished. What did he mean by that? He meant that sin has no victory in place in the life of of the believer in Jesus Christ. It's finished. The work is done. The blood has been shed. The victory has been won. It's secure. It's complete. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to take it away. It is completely accomplished in Jesus Christ. It is finished for those who are children of God. It's finished. So stop letting it slow you down. Throw it off. Get rid of it. Hate it. Despise it. For it keeps you from the race that God wants you to run. It is not your intimate friend. It is the thing that will destroy you and take you out of the race. But thank goodness we have a God who loves us so much. Who says, I know you're going to struggle throwing it off. I know you're going to struggle identifying it. You're going you're to struggle because you're so intimate with this sin. You're going to struggle calling that sin a sin. So the good father, you know what he does? He trains us and he disciplines us so that we'll see what sin is. And we'll see the things that we're supposed to throw off. Look with me as the text continues. He says, consider, excuse me, verse five, and they have, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Quite literally, the word here is don't scorn. Don't look with contempt or hate or fear, or anxiousness, or like at the discipline of the Lord. Don't treat this lightly, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. I want to pause right here. I have been a part of the church since I was a small child. My parents are Christians, and they raised us in the church. And I have seen gross abusiveness done by the church. And so when I start talking about this word discipline, it's a hard word because we've been abused by bad discipline. We've we've seen pastors and we've seen church leaders condemn people. I want to clue you in on something. John 3.16, we know it well, but do you know 3.17? For he came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. If Jesus didn't come to condemn, and when we say condemn, we we mean you're going to hell. Your sin is so gross and so egregious, nothing, anything could ever be done for you to be saved from that. Listen, if the thieves on the cross can be saved by Jesus and their last hours and last minutes, who are we to condemn anybody? But look how God can save people and not give up. Yes, we discern. We do judge things and we do discern things and say, yo, that's sin. And we don't want to dive into sin. And while that person's deep into sin, we're not going to join him in that sin. But we believe God is big enough. 
because he's the great high priest to deliver and redeem that person from their sin so I can walk alongside of them and encourage them and point them to Jesus so that they might see that sin and throw it off and begin to run that race that God has called them to run. We, God's discipline is not something that condemns. And that's super important for you to understand this morning. Because I grew up with this like view of God that he's hovering over the smoke button. And every, he's waiting for me to screw up so he can go, ha, gotcha. It's like whack-a-mole, right? Like, oh, Scott screwed up again. Bam, bam, bam. Like, that's the God I grew up with. That was in my mind. And that's not who God is. But that's legalism. And that's the stuff that I was entrenched in growing up as a kid. It wasn't until my ninth grade year, my mom and dad started going to a church and being part of a church family that the pastor kept talking about this love of God. And he wants to see us overcome our sin. And he wants to save us from our sin. And this was like weird. Like I'd been a Christian for at that point, like 10, 15 years. And all of a sudden this is like brand new, fresh water. For my parents too, had been believers even longer. Discipline also is not abuse. I want you to hear that. God is not looking to abuse you, to destroy you. He's looking to teach you and instruct, instruct us. God's discipline is not evil. I want you to hear that loud and clear. God's discipline saves and delivers. By grace, we are being saved. What is that God's using to continue to save us? His discipline. He's using discipline to, to teach us and to instruct us what it is to run this race, to throw off with the things that are holding us back. God's discipline is perfectly Necessary. I want to read to you 2 Timothy 2, 25. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Titus 2, 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. We just got done singing this song, Peace on Earth. What does it look like for us to have peace on earth right now? Is it, is it a ceasefire amongst nations? No. That's a short-lived peace, a peace on earth that God is describing in the word, the peace on earth that Christ brought so that we might live godly lives in this present age, is that we might be in right relationship with our God and have peace with God. Not animosity or enmity, but peace. That's the peace we live for here, is peace with our God. God's discipline is out of his love. And how do I know that? Because for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can't even begin to imagine how much God loves us. We, we, we hear those terms, one and only begotten son of God. Those aren't theological terms. Those are terms of affection. God, the Father, loved the Son. And he loved us so much that he was willing to send his Son. Don't strip God of the incredible, powerful emotion. And yes, emotion is not evil or wicked that God would have felt in that moment when his Son breathe his last. So God the Father rightly disciplines us. 
And discipline is important for us to understand because discipline means, look at this verse here, for God, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. It goes on to talk about in this passage, I'm not going to read through all of it right now, but it talks about that legitimate fathers to legitimate sons discipline, the father disciplines the son. That's necessary. It's good. You know, my son disobeys, I discipline. My daughter disobeys, I discipline her. If I see my kid running out into the traffic, into headlong into traffic, I'm grabbing my kid and I'm spacking his butt. Because I don't want him ever to do that again. How much more so does the father love me that when he sees me headlong into sin, he goes, I'm going to bring you back, my child. I'm going to show you that what you're doing is sin because I love you and I want this relationship with you and I don't want anything between us. And I got to teach you. And it hurts. This text tells us that it's not fun. It's painful. The word here and chastises every son whom he receives. Listen, another word for receives here would be accepts. You want to be accepted by God. You want to be a child of God. Then you love the discipline of the Lord. And the word there for chastises is the same word that's used in Luke, that's used in John, that's used in Matthew, and that's used in Mark for the flogging that Jesus Christ received. The same word. Listen, it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt. Why? Because we're born into a state of sin. We're born into a state of fallenness. And we need that out of our lives because it keeps us from having a relationship with God. And relationship with God is the abundant life God wants us to have right here and right now. To know peace on earth, to know hope, to know joy, to know love right now. And so he's going to rip it out of us. And it's going to hurt. And it's going to leave a mark. Praise God. Because hopefully they will never run back to that thing ever again. It hurts to be disciplined by God. But he loves us. And he does it to restore us and have us walk closely with him. So that we can run that race to the end. We can run that race towards him. So that means we've got to know what's right in that race. We've got to know what God, what pleases God and what displeases God. It's not our standard. It's God's standard. Holiness and righteousness. Purity. Like these are things that God has given us to live for him. To run this race. And I want to be very clear about this as well. I know I'm tackling a really difficult topic. We we were at Sermon Chat for a long time just because I was like, guys, I want to be really clear when we talk about discipline. Another thing that was brought up, God's discipline is not always an active response to sin, to active sin in our lives. It is also man's rebellion used by God to discipline and teach and instruct us. Give you a hypothetical situation. Let's say in your job, someone comes in and been cheating, been lying, and been stealing from the company. They come to you. And they say, you're fired. You didn't do it. Somebody else lied. And in order to keep their job. But you're guiltless in this. You weren't in rebellion against God. You weren't sinning against God. But God uses that moment to teach us about who he is. Well, we call that teaching And that instruction, discipline. 
God is disciplining our hearts. He is removing things that's, you know, what is it that we needed to throw off? I guess, God, because you don't want me to have that job anymore. Even the way it was done, it was, breaks my heart because they think of me this way. But guess what, God? You've got something better for me. And that thing was keeping me from running, right? And it doesn't mean that we don't, we don't act righteously and use the systems to, to, to like go and say, hey, I wasn't a thief. And, and we go ahead and we use the right systems to, to exonerate our name. I'm not saying that. But if God says you're never getting that job back, it means that God said I, that, that was something that was going to keep you from running the race with me. So I'm going to remove you from that so you'll run the race with me over here. Maybe it was you were depending on that salary instead of depending on God. Maybe that job was becoming your hope. We don't know. But God says you were guiltless in this action, but I'm going to use this to teach you about myself. You see, that's what it means when we say God redeems all things. That's why we can say what, what man intended for evil. Remember back in Genesis? When Joseph said that regarding his brother's actions, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. That's how Joseph could say that. Because Joseph could say, I needed to be disciplined by God in that manner so that I could be fully obedient to God and fulfill his plan for my life and for the kingdom people. And that's something else we need to understand about discipline. This text begins with, let me throw off everything that hinders me. Is that how the text goes? Let us. Oh, hold the phone. This is a community activity. This is us together saying, we don't want to be hindered by sin. We want the discipline of the Lord. And what's crazy, as God worked in that person's life, as they were removed from their job, God is, this community comes around them, a believers comes around them, helps to support them in their time of need, gets to encourage their hearts. They get to watch God at work in their lives and their faith needs to get strengthened because what God does in that person's life is good for the body as a whole. Because we're not a bunch of individuals. We're a family of believers. This is God's discipline. In the United States Army, my time there began as a civilian. And I remember, you know, and I remember watching Christy do this, and I remember I did this. You know, I raised my hand, do you, do you, do you, I do, well, I state your full name, do solemnly swear to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign to go domestic, and blah, 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 right? We had to receive the oath, right? And, and that began a, a change in something. All of a sudden, I realized, wait a minute. Nobody's ever had me raise my right hand. I hadn't been to court, okay? I, nobody's ever made me ran, raise my right hand before and swear to something and take an oath to something. This is significant. This is serious. And then became, we, we, when it was that time to leave, you know, you, they took you away from your family the night before and you went and stayed at a hotel with all the other recruits. And it was kind of weird. You're like, I hope I don't get put with a weird guy, right? You know, in this room and you're all staying together. And the next morning, because the reason they put you in a hotel room, because you're up at oh dark 30 the next morning. Your, your, your flight leaves out at like 2 a.m. in the morning. I think they do, do this intentionally, right? And you're boarding this plane and then you fly and you land at MEP station and everything is still okay. They're, they're, oh, hey, welcome. So glad you're here. Thank you for enlisting. And, and then they take you to the MEP station and the military entrance processing station. And, and during this time here, things start to shift a little bit. They put these sergeants in charge of you and, and they're not screaming at you yet, but they're like, because they don't want to raise the anxiety level because you're about ready to go sign for, you know, $10,000 worth of gear. And they don't want your anxiety up when you're signing for $10,000 worth of gear, right? And you're getting all your uniforms, your dress uniforms, your, your B, back in my day, it was BDUs and then changed to ACUs. And you're signing for all this stuff and you're going through and they're starting to teach you about who your chain of command is. And you're starting to learn to what a good push-up looks like, right? Um, and, and you're learning these things. And I'm like, oh, military life's not too bad. I'm still, I'm still able to be a civilian and a good soldier at this point, right? So far, my civilian life hasn't really, you know, been, you know, I, I can do both. And then the day came. And, and you took all your stuff and you shoved it into a duffel bag, two duffel bags. And you put one on your back and you put one on your front. And you loaded this bus. Now... 
the person who was welcoming us onto the bus was this little lady, right? And she was five foot, if five foot, right? This black lady, and I'm going to tell you what, we got on the bus. Oh, my gosh. The door shuts. I was scared for my life. Like, she starts screaming at us. And I'm like, how in the world could that pint-sized person have a voice? I mean, you think mine's loud? It doesn't even compare to hers. And all of a sudden, I felt this cold chill go down my spine. Like, dear God, what have I done? Like, and I'm putting my head down in my, my bag. And she says, your heads are down. No one's looking up. I see somebody. Like, and so all of us, our heads are buried. Even the toughest guy there, like who come from the toughest part of like who knows where, is like heads buried and everybody's just shaking, right? And your head's down for the remainder of the bus ride as she continues to berate us. For what it felt like for the next 30 minutes. Later on, I was in training there at the same base, and I realized it was only like a five-minute drive, but I still swear they took a lot of like long way to get there. It felt like 30 minutes. And then became the next eight weeks of stripping me of my civilian life. Why? I was receiving discipline on a regular basis. Sometimes we were disciplined till the point of the walls and the barracks sweating. So when the drill sergeant could wipe his hand on the wall and water dripped from his hand, then we stopped. Why? Was this cruel and unusual punishment? No. There was something that was happening amongst my platoon. As, as this was taking place, we were getting yelled at and getting screwed up. We were forming as a team. People from all over the place we had different backgrounds, different way we were raised, or all of a sudden we were formed as a team. And for some reason, God had this incredible sense of humor and said, Scott, you're going to be in charge of this team all eight weeks. And so I got yelled at a lot. And, and, and we, were, we went through this time and we're getting yelled at and we're getting, our bodies are getting more fit and we're getting leaner. And all of a sudden, that, that mile run became nothing, and the two-mile run became nothing. And all of a sudden, the four-mile run, we're singing cadence and belting out cadence for four miles. And all of a sudden, passing that PT test wasn't about the minimums, but now you were going for the maximums. And all of a sudden, we were going to the range, and we were throwing lead down range, and it was exciting, and we were like throwing grenades, and we are like, our mindset is civilian life, what's that? We knew, we knew yes, sir, no, sir. We knew yes, drill sergeant, yes, no, drill sergeant. And we, 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 we know positions of it and, and respect. And by the time we're standing on that parade field graduating, all of a sudden we're going, man, like 10 weeks ago, I was somebody completely different. Why? Because they were getting ready for us to go to combat. We weren't shooting at little paper targets at bullseyes. We were shooting at silhouettes. They were training us to go, to go be soldiers downrange and go to war against enemies in the United States. They had to discipline us so that we would get in the right mindset so that when we could come home from combat with the greatest chance of being alive. God is disciplining you and I with the purpose that we can stay in this race and run it to the finish. He's like, I, if you keep this entangled about you, you won't make it. You won't finish. So I'm going to discipline you, whether it was because of active sin or somebody else's sin, but I'm going to use this opportunity to redeem my people so that they'll finish this race, so that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, might present his bride before the Father, holy and pure and sanctified. Discipline's good. It hurts. But we should desire it. Because it's making us more like Jesus. The final portion of this passage in verses 12 to 17 therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees Christopher you ever feel drooping hands and weak knees as you cross the finish line of a race 
Like, like you're going to collapse. I mean, we've watched runners come across finish lines and just collapse. God doesn't want us to collapse. He says, based upon this discipline program I have for you, based upon my training for you, you're going to get strengthened in this race. And you're going to be able to run farther and longer than you ever thought possible. Because I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to exhort you. And make straight paths for your feet. Notice this. How do we make straight paths for our feet? Where are our eyes? On Jesus. I remember when we were standing in formation, where are your eyes? Straight forward. And may someone help you if you avert your eyes from straight forward. Because the drill sergeant could be standing behind you and he somehow knows. <laughs> and sometimes it's the person who does the wrong that gets punished. And sometimes it's the team gets punished for the person who did the thing wrong. Don't forget that. When we advert our eyes, when we move our eyes off Jesus, it's not just you who's going to be impacted and affected. For we are part of a family. When one of my children heads that direction of sin, it impacts my whole family. Our hearts break, we grieve, we mourn, we pray as we desire that person to return to walking once again. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. You notice this text never says anything about being able to stop the race or quit the race. Or take a time out from the race. But he's saying here, while you're running, you're going to get stronger. While you're running, you're going to get refreshed. While you're running, your health is going to recover. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls, fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness strings, springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Listen, when you're faced with the discipline of the Lord, I need a great flow chart here. Steve, I'm missing a flow chart. Right? Discipline of the Lord. We encounter discipline of the Lord, whether by active sin in our life, or somebody else's sin, but, but life has gotten hard and tough, and all of a sudden we realize, God's doing something in me. I don't like it, but he's doing something. We have this choice to either accept it's from the Lord and seek what he desires for us, and therefore it strengthens us, equips us, and keeps us running, or we say, this isn't fair, God. I don't deserve this. You're not a loving God, and you're not a just God, because if you were, you wouldn't be doing this to me. Well, what's the result of that? Roots of bitterness spring up. And it defiles many. Your bitterness doesn't just affect you. My bitterness just doesn't affect me. When I get angry against God, it affects those that are around me, those that are closest to me. And like a ripple effect, impacts others. The correct response to God's discipline, brothers and sisters, is surrender. Which shouldn't surprise us because that's the way it was from the beginning. When we go from being people who are not yet believers to people who are believers, what did that require? Surrender. So it shouldn't it requires us to believe in Jesus Christ and surrender to him that he is our Lord and our God and that we are sinners unable to save ourselves and we surrender to, to God. Well, it shouldn't surprise us then that in the process of continuing to save us is a perpetual life of surrender. So when we encounter the discipline of the Lord, we surrender. 
See to that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward he desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. I want to close with this story of Esau. Why does the author of Hebrews go to Esau? This is an extreme measure. Esau is a black eye. For the Bible tells us, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. God hated Esau. So knowing that, and it says we could be like him, we should bristle against that. I don't ever want to be like Esau. You see, Esau was hungry. And Esau, all he could think about was his belly. All he could think about was getting fed. He couldn't think about what laid and awaited for him past that moment. So he sold away his birthright, his chance to be the firstborn, the chosen one of Jacob. He sold it away. He disregarded being blessed by Jacob. More importantly, being blessed by God. He sold that away. He disregarded it. And brothers and sisters, if we don't love the discipline of the Lord, if we don't desire the discipline of the Lord, we're just like Esau. Man, this moment is too hard for me. Man, this is too much. And we start sounding like Esau and we start selling away. Those blessings that God is wanting to store up for us in eternity. And we sell it away. And we're like Esau. And the very scary thing is Esau with tears at the end of his life was like, Dad, please bless me. He comes in after Jacob. You gotta have a blessing for me. But he couldn't give him that blessing because Jacob had received that blessing. With tears in his eyes, he desired that blessing. And he realized, man, I have squandered it all. For a moment in time. Which is super dangerous because that is what the world is telling you to live for right now. Is for the moment. Live for the moment. Be happy in the moment. Satisfy your need in the moment. Satisfy your desire in the moment. That's Esau. Jesus is saying to the scriptures here to us, don't be like Esau. I have these great rewards that are waiting for you in the coming kingdom. Live for those things. Run the race for those things. Run the race for eternity. And when you're disciplined and instructed by the Lord, see it as strengthening you to run the race. Don't despise the Lord's instruction. Love it. Embrace it as a father who loves you and desires what's absolutely best for you. And follow the steps of God. If you're sitting here this morning and God's been trying to discipline you, and I'm confident that many of you here this morning are believers, but there's the high likelihood that there are some of you in here this morning that aren't believers. That, that think maybe because you come to church and you come, you give money or, or you're, you're a nice person or, or you give to Schland Valley Hope or you give of your time to nice things, that somehow that makes you a Christian. No, 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 no. The only thing that, that makes you a Christian is surrendering your life to Jesus Christ and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, that's it. And that, that surrender by faith alone are we saved. But if you despise God's discipline, if you view God's holiness, his righteousness, his calling for purity upon your life, his calling for obedience upon your life as something that you don't want, I fear for you. Because you do not desire the righteousness of God and his children desire his discipline. His children desire his holiness and his righteousness. His children want to run the race, eyes fixed on him. And so if you're here this morning 
you've struggled with the desire to want to please God and be obedient to God and receive his discipline, I need you to honestly ask yourself, have I ever truly surrendered myself to God? And if you're believers here this morning, look at your lives, examine your hearts. Is there any root of bitterness in me? Have I ever like rebelled against the discipline of the Lord? And if so, I want to repent of that today. And so I can start embracing God's discipline for my life and so that I can walk and not just walk, but run eyes fixed on Jesus with no distractions, nothing holding me back. And as we do so, our knees will be strengthened, our hands will be strengthened, and we will be healed. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for the comfort of your discipline, which is so weird to say because it sounds so oxymoronic. But that's exactly what it is. It's healing and it's comforting to be rebuked by the one who was flogged for us, who was beaten, who was crucified. And rightly so, you hate sin. Sin put Jesus on the cross. My sin, our sin. And you are right to hate it, Father. May we learn to despise it with the same despise that you have. And embrace the discipline as we, of the Lord, seeing that it is relieving us of that burden of sin in our lives and of hindrances that are keeping us from following Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Also, it's time for some God stories. Um, who's going to start us off this morning? Really? God hasn't, you know, man. Thank you. He's going to have to start calling on me. I usually spend, uh, oh, maybe the first 30 minutes of my morning drinking coffee and just sitting there. And today I was listening to the radio, and uh, one of my kids is. Um, really struggling in life. And as a mom, it breaks my heart. And one of the things right now from your sermon is I need to let go of control to run that race. But a song came on about Mary. And there was that sweet little baby and his little toes and his sweet breath but she knew, and she treasured up all those things in her heart. And I feel like I'm not worthy to be in her company, but I have a great example to follow. Pray for my kid. So I... Um heard what you uh, uh, speaking here um, this morning, Scott, either through our faith or through our bitterness, bitterness we impact those around us, and uh, we have to choose which way we're going to go with how God disciplines us, and um, it's been a challenging year uh, for my family. And this earlier this week, I got a call from my uncle. They live on the East Coast. My aunt has been battling cancer for the last two years, and she passed away Monday morning. And sitting there on the phone talking with my Uncle Ted, and we just, it's hard. He's in grief, and at the same time, he's praising God. 
because he knows where his wife, my Aunt Barbara, is right now and that she's free from the pain and the struggle in this life and God has healed her. And we could have that connection in faith uh, with each other in agreement with that. It doesn't take away the pain of loss, but it does resolve and provide us with the confidence of faith that God has everything working for our good. You know, my wife passed away about two months ago. Within a couple of weeks, a friend of ours lost her husband. We've been praying for her. They're not believers. Well, last night she called again. And again, I, I told her of my, my belief that my wife is not dead. She's just waiting for me. And I think I reached her last night. I'm going to continue to pray for her. But I think last night was a night that she realized there is God and there is hope. Amen. Well, I got to I got to share one this morning. All right. Uh, I asked Catherine if she wanted to share it, and, and she she uh, waved me off. <laughs> but uh, she said I could, so I got permission. There we go. Um, Catherine's been struggling with this idea of us moving and leaving. Um, it's been hard for her. And uh, Christy got her this book about teens going through some tough times. You know, didn't know all the stories, and so there's all these individual stories in there. And this week, I don't know, Tuesday or Thursday or something time, she was in the morning before she was going to school. She came out and she goes, Dad, um, you're never going to believe... This story is about a girl whose family has to move to Troy, Michigan. The very city that we're looking to move to. And, and God just used that to say to her, like, I am preparing your heart. This is hard. God's discipline isn't fun to go through. But he's going to be with her, and he loves her. And he's going to be with her. This is her faith her faith between God and God's going to use this to develop her faith with him. Amen. And so I'm just rejoicing. Um, and that, that I got to stand back and just witness God, just not just caring for Christy and I's hearts and pointing us to this decision, but also our daughters as well. Um, I also want to encourage you something else with someone, a dear friend of ours is going through a really brutal time and it, she didn't do anything wrong, Amen. but she's going through a really brutal time. And on a daily basis, she has to make this choice to embrace the hurt so that bitterness won't take root. Amen. See, when we, we take bitterness up and we get angry against God, it can wall ourselves off it's, to the pain. And so we self-anesthetize ourselves. But what God says is, you, know, you, you embrace the pain and I can heal that pain. I can deliver you through this. That's what God does. Amen. Amen. He delivers us through the pain. Amen. Amen. I have God's oh, Dean, go for it. Yeah, I never share, but uh... in Southern California, and over forty years ago, he was involved in a house ex explosion, <clears throat> which ultimately ultimately burned his lungs. <clears throat> yeah. Um. He was diagnosed with COPD, and it's just gotten worse and worse over the years. Uh, recently, he was diagnosed with stage four COPD, and doctors just told him that there's nothing they can do for him. And, of course, it's heartbreaking. So I believe it was my aunt's boyfriend decided to try something different and paid for my grandpa to go through a stem cell procedure. Mm -hmm. um, and before the stem cell procedure, my grandpa, he couldn't walk 15 feet without gasping for air. It was so bad. Um, after the procedure, he went around, walked around, thanked everybody on staff. Um, he's, my aunt asked him how he felt, 
now prior to, uh, compared to like prior before the explosion, he's like, I feel like 90% better. And he walked 150 feet to the car and he loves thrift stores. So my aunt took him to a huge thrift store and he just walked all over the place with no issues at all. Wow. <laughs> Amen. Hey, I've, I know we've gone long on the God stories and I, I let me try to keep myself quiet too, but I, I, I want to share with y'all my God story is everybody involved in the worship music ministry and, and people like the Knight Rider, KC Knight back there on the board. <laughs> and it's a real blessing. You know, br- 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 Brother Dean set up the music this week with Stephanie. It's just a real blessing for Colin and I and to be able to sing with my wife. And it's a real honor to be able to do this here with the church. So I wanted to share that with you all. Okay. 